I understand that the topic tonight has to do with the relationship between the body and the mind. Right. And surely that is the way we should introduce a series like this, isn't it? Because we're talking about worry and how to stop worrying. Uh, I've understood in a small way as a layman in uh, health that there's a tremendous relationship between the body and the mind. Would you spell that out for us a little more tonight? Yes, well, the, the human brain is a very marvelous organism. It weighs something like 45 to 50 ounces, yet it does so many varied functions for us. It not only moves your muscles so you can put your hands where you want, pick up things, uh, walk without thinking about it. It also does a lot of other types of integrative functions. So that's the, it stores information so that you will be able to make decisions based on what you are presented with. It runs a biochemical laboratory inside of your brain that samples the blood level of hormones. And then the brain thereby adjusts the different glands of the body to just secrete the right amount of hormones for you. Your brain also helps you in the decision-making process. It stores away information. Uh, Dr. Penfield, during brain surgery, would electrically stimulate different parts of the brain and when he would stimulate the, uh, a certain side of the brain, an individual would have a particular recollection Is that of something right? out of the past. <clears throat> the body-mind relationship is an inseparable entity. I have people who tell me, well, I have chest pain, but perhaps it's in my, in my mind. They forget that the, bo the body and the mind are really a unit. Uh -huh. That when you're physically ill, you're going to feel emotionally depressed. If you overwork and lose sleep, you're going to feel irritable. If you have physically, you know, physical illness, you will actually be emotionally unstable and irritable. It's not uncommon for us in the coronary care unit to find people who, during the first few days of their event, when they're having a lot of chest pain after their heart attack, will actually become amnesic for that time period. Is that right? Some individuals have such a stressful episode in the coronary care unit that they actually, for a, a temporary time period, will become mentally ill or psychotic. Mm. And this is something that's, that's actually reversible. Mm. Now, you can go the other way around and say, well, you know, how does the mind affect the body? If you're emotionally tired, you're going to feel physically tired. You know, if you put in a long, hard day at the, doing desk work, you'll come home and feel physically tired. I notice that in my preaching. When I get emotionally exhausted, I'm physically exhausted That's right. too. And later on, in one of the other nights, we're going to talk about what you can do to correct that. Very good. If an individual is under stress for prolonged periods of time, we know that there are recognizable changes that may occur in the body. People who are acutely ill, such as people who have been burned in an auto accident or something, may develop ulcers almost uh, instantaneously. Is that right? Over a prolonged <laughs> period of emotional stress, we know that individuals have de will develop ulcers. People also have problems with palpitations. And this is particularly my area of interest since uh, my specialty is that that deals with the heart. We know that if they admit normal people into the coronary care unit who have no known heart disease, but just do this as a test, they start having signs of irritability of the heart just by putting them in the stressful situation where they're in the coronary care unit. We know that stress will oftentimes be a factor that may precipitate 
the actual event where a person has a heart attack. I have more than once had an individual tell me that I can remember now that you now that you mention it that I've been under a lot of stress lately and this may be the thing that actually precipitates the, the heart attack. And of course stress is recognized as one of the long-term events that that may lead to the development of heart disease and eventually a heart attack. There are of course other things such as headache and high blood pressure that are also related. But stress, the mind, the body, all of this is a, is a very finely integrated system. So we're going to show this week what they need to do physically as well as mentally to keep from stress, right? That's right. And uh, I, you know, I was interested also in your notes as you were with us some years ago in a program something like this, that you were telling about the tremendous uh, brain, uh, the mechanism of the brain, and you're telling something about if a man if it were possible for people to do a, an artificial brain that could accomplish what our brain does accomplish. I've forgotten, you told about some... How did well, you of course, that that? Was in, this, this estimate was made in the days prior to microcircuitry, but it was estimated that if you were to reproduce the brain, you'd have to house it in a building as large as the Empire State Building in New York, <laughs> and it would take all of the water flowing over Niagara Falls just to cool it and keep it operational. <laughs> And then this brain wouldn't be able to decide whether or not it wanted pancakes or eggs for breakfast, you see. See that? We're fearfully and wonderfully made, That's aren't right. we? That's right. We certainly are. My, we certainly appreciate that, that uh, special counsel. Now, then this week, we're going to be able to give people concrete suggestions of how they can relate the body to the mind and the mind to the body. And uh, you mentioned something about, uh, in, a, in a talk you gave, when we were together before, something about some of the things that can actually produce physical effects, like uh, I think you mentioned a lemon and... Right. Would you share some well, of those? Well, a long, some, some years ago, a doctor by the name of Dr. Pavlov in Russia demonstrated that if he were to ring a bell every time he would feed dogs, the dogs would, would salivate and get ready to eat. And eventually he came to the place where he could ring the bell alone and the dogs would salivate even though he didn't produce the food. And anyone here tonight, if you stop and think about it now and clear your mind of everything else, if you were to picture in your mind a fresh yellow lemon and now picture cutting this in half and then taking half of this lemon and putting it up to your mouth and licking on that, venture to say just about everyone here is salivating right now, I've in just including you. <laughs> I was just swallowed twice, Doctor. We know that conditioning has a lot to do with what goes on with the human mechanism. And there are individuals who condition themselves to always look on the dark side of any issue that they, that they get involved in. They can retrain themselves to look on the positive side of the issue. And that's what you've been very active in, and that's what's kept me very much interested in your work. If you keep at it, you can teach yourself in, a, in the conditioning process to look on the bright side of, of the issue that you're facing. Right. That's like the old mule I heard about. Uh, they had a great big well, dry well, you know, and they put him out on a, a retirement. He was a pet mule. He fell down all four feet in that, in that uh, well, <laughs> and, uh, and they, uh, he was a pet. They didn't want to kill him, and yet they couldn't get him out, so they decided to bury him alive, and every time they shoveled the, 
the, the dirt in, he was a little higher. So instead of his looking at the problem, he walked right out. Instead of their burying him, so we don't have to be buried with our problems, right, Doctor? That's right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Isaiah, for being with us. And you'll be with us again tomorrow night, I understand, at this same yes. program. Thank you very, very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And now, uh, Don and Nancy, I wonder if you'd sing one more of those beautiful songs. Is this, uh, would you tell us the number, the name of it, the title? Thank you, Pastor Kuhn. It's entitled, Cast Your Burden Upon the Lord, and it's another beautiful scripture song written to music. Cast your burden upon the Lord, He will sustain you. He will not permit the righteous to be moved. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in him, cast your burden upon the Lord, he will sustain you. Thank you, so beautiful. Oh, that is the beautiful promise of the Lord. And friends, that brings us right to the subject of tonight. I hold in my hand the most wonderful book in all the universe. This planet has never known such a book. The Christian religion, the religion of the Bible, is the most beautiful religion known to this planet. Think of it. In this book, we have a promise that no matter what our past life has been, whether it's been vicious, whether we have destroyed our lives by vile habit, the maker of this book, the author of this book, says, look, I'll give you a lily-white life. Psalm 32, 1. Just imagine that. And, and if it's true, and it is, then no matter what situation we find ourselves, as far as the past is concerned, we can say, wonderful. There's a page that's covered over my page, my crimson page, my vile page of the past, and I'm looked upon by the author of this book as though I'd never committed a sin in all my life. And that isn't all. The next wonderful thing that is promised by the Christian, in the Christian religion, and from this book is a new life, a new life. Imagine that you and I have this wonderful privilege. It says the gift of God is eternal life. We have the privilege of knowing that in spite of all the frustrations, in spite of all the body-defiling habits in which the sinner is engaged, he said, I'll not merely give you a white page to cover the past, but I'll give you an eternal life with me, a life that measures through the countless ages of eternity. I say, my friends, that kind of a religion is beautiful. There's no religion in all the ages that can compare with this kind of religion. Then number three, he offers us forgiveness. As we start this new life and we travel along, we'll stumble. <clears throat> and we'll say, now, <clears throat> uh, I know my vicious past has been covered by a white page. I know he's offered me a new life and I'm starting this new life. But every once in a while, I'll stumble. I'll find myself uh, uh, just erring a little bit, getting out of the way a little bit. Then what's going to happen? After he's done so much for me as to give me the new page and a new life, and now I begin to blow it? Ah, he said, look, I'll then give you instantaneous forgiveness. First John, in fact, it's First John 2, 1. It says, if 
These things I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. First John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us. Cleanses us. Not cleansed us from the past, but cleanses us day by day as we walk with him. A constant cleansing. Even before I can say in words, Lord, I'm sorry that I missed the mark. He said, I'm cleansing you. I say, that's a beautiful religion. What do you say? That is the religion of the Bible. That is the religion of Jesus Christ. And there's a reason why. There's a special reason why. And that brings us to number four. He said, I give you acceptance, not merely the lily white page for the past, not merely a new life, not merely forgiveness when you blow it as you move along, but I'll give you daily acceptance. We say, Lord, how could you accept me daily when I'm making so many mistakes? Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that walk, to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I'm not condemning you. You're walking in the right direction. Keep your eyes fixed on me. I'm not condemning you. But what is this condemnation I feel, dear Lord? Uh, that's the old devil, the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that's trying to put you through the tunnel of despair. I am receiving you. I am not condemning you. I'm accepting you completely. You're my child. I say, friends, any book that offers me that kind of a religion is a beautiful book. What do you say? A beautiful book. And the, and the wonderful thing about it is it's true. I know it's true. Why, my friend? This book has 1,335 prophecies. 1,000 of these have already been fulfilled, and the other 1,335, we've not come to that point yet. Every one that's come to the point of fulfillment has been fulfilled accurately. Some to the very day, the very hour, the very hour. Not one has ever failed. My, what a book. Josiah Litch, back in the 1838, that's a long while ago, was preaching the, the truth of the book. And there were a lot of people who were sincere, very, very sincere, but they're agnostics. They didn't know the book. They didn't know the God of the book. So they said to him something like this. They said, here you're trying to tell us that this book is true because of all the prophecies that were fulfilled. Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome were all prophesied in the Bible. You're saying, you're telling us about the prophecy of Tyre and all of these prophecies, and you're saying they're fulfilled. But how do we know the prophecy wasn't written after the thing that you say was fulfilled? You tell us about some prophecy that will be fulfilled in our day just ahead. Then we'll believe the Bible. He said, all right. He said, two years from now, August 11, According to this book, the Ottoman Empire will lose its independence. Oh, they said, good. Now that's something we can put our teeth in. If we see that take place, we're going to be Bible believers. But, Josiah, <laughs> be careful. You've stuck your neck out. You've given us an exact date, August 11, 1840. If it doesn't happen, remember, your neck is in a noose. He said, it will take place. When August 11, 1840 came, the Ottoman Empire lost its independence. It had to lean on four great powers to survive. And they tell us that a thousand infidels accepted the Bible overnight. This book has a beautiful religion. Think of it. Now, just all it takes is for men to believe that it's true. And if, if men believe 
that the book is true, then they can say, wonderful, I have a lily white page for the past. Before we go into those other four for a moment and on, on what basis do I, other than the veracity of the Bible, do I have a right to say I really have a lily white page? It is this. A wonderful scheme, a wonderful plan was connived, was thought out in eternity before sin ever came to this planet. And the plan was that if humanity should fail, that death must result because if we break the laws of our existence, we must cease to exist. So in that event, infinite love and mercy planned by a plan and outlined it very clearly in their own minds to be revealed to humanity later that the Creator Himself would come down to this world, take man's place, die in man's place. You see, since He was our Creator, He had more life than all of us put together. So when He would die in our place and meet the demands of the law, He'd met the demands of all the lives of all the sinners. So having met the demands of us, He said, I'm now transferring my pure lily-white life, putting in place of your sinful life, I'm taking your sinful life and bearing it at the cross. I say, friends, the Christian religion is beautiful, and I believe it. And I have come to the Lord Jesus, and I've let him cover my past with that pure white, lily-white life of his. And then he said, I give you a new life. We've already mentioned that. Then he said, and if you, if you blow it, as you start toward the kingdom, I'll forgive you moment by moment. And then he said, I'll continually accept you because you're looking to me, you've accepted me, you're in me, and I, my life is being lived in you. And we say, my, this is tremendous. I'm so happy. Now he said, I'll do something else for you. In Romans 1, 16, 17, it says, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. He said, I not merely will take care of the other things that you need, but I'll come and live in your life. And so you can say, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. For me to live is Christ. We say, a power? But Lord, <clears throat> I may be something like some of these little old weak uh, uh, radios used to be. You remember 25, 30 years ago when they had the very cheap radios and they'd have to do a lot of fine tuning to tune out the static and try to tune into the broadcasting station. The station was broadcasting all the while. But the little radio... <laughs> In the way back when I was a boy, that was several years ago, as you understand. Uh, when I was a boy, I remember how we tune and tune and tune, try to tune out the static, you see. So as we're walking with the Lord and find that the power is available, but somehow we're not tuning into that, that full power, then he comes along and said, look, I'll give you something else. Psalm 32, 8, I'll instruct you and I'll teach you in the way you, so you'll know how to tune in. And I'll teach you how to avoid these pitfalls that you've fallen into. We say, my, my. It's almost incredible that there be any religion in this world that would offer so much. You mean you'll instruct me? You'll teach me? You'll guide me with your eye? So you'll say, here's a pitfall. You can, you can, uh, you can bypass it. And then we say, oh, I say, Lord, thank you. But, Lord, I've got a lot of problems. Every day I have problems. Lord, among the problems I have is... Uh, <laughs> managerial problems, financial problems. I just don't know how to make a go of it financially. I just don't seem to know how to manage my business life. And he comes along and said, look, I'll take care of that too. Malachi, the third chapter, verses 
10 to 12 says, I will open you the windows of heaven. I'll pour you out a blessing. There won't be room enough to receive it. I say, Lord, isn't that wonderful? That's spiritual blessing, physical blessing, financial blessings, guidance. I say, it's, all, it's incredible. How in the world could so much be offered to one poor sinner who has come out of his sinful life and it's just all he has to do is accept it? Then I look up in the face of the author of this book and I say, perhaps you know, <laughs> and, and maybe you don't know, dear God, but I have all kinds of problems. I don't merely have the problem of weakness and the problem of finances and the problem of business. I have home problems. I have problems between myself and my children, my wife, my, my husband, my friends and society. They're everywhere, Lord. These problems are just everywhere I look. I find another problem. And, and I say, after all that you've done for me already, I don't believe it's fair for me to ask you to take care of all these problems. And you know what he says? Philippians 4.19. I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I have to keep saying, incredible. It's hard to believe. How in the world can... But how can you reject such an, such an offer made by a, a book that's true, really true? And then he said, look, I know what you're thinking of. Now that you're beginning to drink in of these wonderful promises, you're wishing that it could be shared with others. The great burden of your heart is, oh, I wish others could share what I've learned so they could know they have a lily white page over their whole life and a new life and acceptance and forgiveness and guidance. Oh, I'd like to share it with others. And then he said, I've got a promise for that too. A promise for that? Oh, yes. Isaiah 49, 24 and 25, he said, even people who have willfully picked up all kinds of body and soul-defying, defiling habits, I'll deliver them too. You can just look up to me and say, Father in heaven, through the merits of Jesus Christ, I ask you to make me an instrument of your love. I, I'm constantly seeing men and women, boys and girls, who are destroying their, their bodies, defiling their souls, ruining their minds. Oh, I'd like to help them. He said, look, I'll give you wisdom. James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, just ask of me. I'll give you my wisdom. How do you do that, Lord? James 1.5. How do you do it? 1 Corinthians 1.30. Christ is made unto you wisdom. You see, you've taken me into your life. Yes, Lord, I have. When you take me into your life, I become your wisdom. I become your guidance. I become your salvation. I become your white page. You're accepted in me as you move along. So I'll give you guidance to, to know how to reach these other people. And as you reach them, you'll tell them. You can have a white page too, a lily white page. You won't have to scold them. Just like I didn't scold you. You don't have to belittle them. I didn't belittle you. You don't have to condemn them. I didn't condemn you. Just take my promises. Christ though made unto you. Christ who is, is made unto you wisdom. I say, oh, this is, oh, it's almost incredible. And my author, the author of the Bible said, you use that word a lot of times, my son. But it is, humanly speaking, it is incredible. But with God, all things are possible. Lord, any more? Yes. 
Psalm 73, 24 says, I will guide you with my counsel. And after, I'll receive you right up into glory. You mean that, Lord? You mean when this little life shall end? You mean when my pilgrimage is finished? <clears throat> you mean my life has just started? You mean I can have a life that measures with the life of God? Indeed I can, for it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie? Yes. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Don't you love that kind of a religion? You can't find it anywhere on this planet except in this book. And it's true. It's true. I know it's true. Now, my heart can be full of joy. <clears throat> Stress, frustration, confusion, dark guilt can all evaporate if, if I'll do one thing, if I'll believe all of these promises in the book. And I say, how do you know that? This is how you know it. In Romans, the 15th chapter and the 13th verse, it says, there is joy and there is peace in believing. So you can have joy and you can have peace if you believe these things that are written. Well, Lord, since you have 1,335 prophecies, a thousand of which have been accurately fulfilled, this, this is not looking into, into this little uh, dream glass that uh, visionaries look into. This is true. I believe. Now, Lord, what shall I do? And then he sends me a, a message on 826 text message. 826 text message. And it says this. If you will believe these wonderful promises that I've given you, there's joy and there's peace. And more than that, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want you to do this, my son. I want you to start saying, thank you, Lord, for the lily white page. Thank you, Lord, for the new life. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Day by day, instant forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for acceptance. Thank you, Lord, for guidance. Thank you, Lord, for wisdom. Thank you, Lord, for teaching me how to avoid the old pitfalls. Thank you, Lord, for teaching me to help others. Thank you, Lord, for helping me financially in every area of life, supplying all of my needs. Thank you, Lord. And he said, look, if you'll do that, if you'll do that, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Proverbs 17, 22. This is my medicine. They'll keep, it'll give you health and strength, strength of mind, strength of body, strength of soul, strength of marriage, strength of soul winning. This is how you can share it with others. And as you share your thanks to me for all that I've done, you're going to keep growing, maturing, strengthening, growing up. And men and women will say, my, that is the kind of a religion I want because my child isn't frustrated anymore. Look at the terrible guilt he used to have. Look at how he's worried over finances. Look at how he was terribly confused over his boys and girls that were taking the same course he had taken. Now look at how happy he is. Now look, you practice joy, son. You rejoice all the while. All the while? I should say I want to rejoice by day and I want to rejoice by night. He said, that's it, that's it. First Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice evermore. 
I said, Lord, but let me ask you this. As I rejoice, suppose now, just suppose, Lord. Suppose now, Lord, that I have some trials. Maybe I break my arm or leg. Then what? He said, you know what? I'm permitting some things to come to you to test your confidence in me because I'm telling you that all things aren't good, but all things work together for good. Romans 8, 30, 28. And I say, oh, yes? On what basis? He said, Romans 8, 32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for you and all, everybody else, he will with him give you everything you need. Not everything you want. So when the trials come, you know, I permit the trials to develop patience. Because in this world, you aren't just to get things. You're to receive my character, my patience, my composure, my poise, my freedom from stress. So as certain temptations and trials come to you, you look up into my face and you say, look, I know what's happening. That old serpent called the devil is trying to get me to change my testimony. He's trying to get me to say what Job's wife said to him, curse God and die. But I'm not going to curse God and I'm not going to change my testimony because I know that the old devil is trying to bring a lot of hardship and I'm going to say, Lord, you have said in Romans, the fifth chapter, verses three to five, that I have the right to glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation works patience. So, so, so now we're recommending, my friend, that in order to obey God's wonderful, delightful prescription for joy and strength and happiness, we will do this. Remember, there are 826 texts of Scripture that tell us to be happy. So I'm telling people, look, make a list. Make a list. Draw a little... In fact, let me share with you what happened in, in a church some time ago. A lady came to me who had lost her friends. She had lost her home. She had lost her husband. She would lost one job after another. And she came to us and said, what in the world am I going to do? She said, there's nothing yet left to live for. I still have a job, a new job. I've only had it a little while. And she said, I know I'm about to lose it. I am so miserable. I said, look, I have an answer. It's from this book. And, the, and I said, let's, let's go in the other room and you'll take a sheet of paper and you'll draw a little, a little square. Then inside of the square, you'll make a column of 10 words. And I'm going to share with you the 10 words that, uh, not the 10 words I shared with her, but 10 words I've just been sharing with you. Each of these words represents one thing for which we should be thankful. The first word would be Lily. So you write that down. Good, I see all of you writing. Very good, yes. Lily, Lily. I'm thankful for Lily, white page. The next word would be uh, life. I'm thankful for new life. The next word, I love to see you writing. That's wonderful, life. The next word is forgiveness. I'm thankful for forgiveness. The next word is acceptance. I'm thankful that the Lord has accepted me in Jesus. The next word is, is power. He's offered me power. Wonderful power. And the next word is guidance. He's going to guide me. Guide me with his eyes. The next word is finances. And all kinds of business problems. So I'll take care of those. I'm thankful for that. Solutions, all kinds of solutions. All kinds of problems. Every kind of a situation that's harassing. He said, I'll take care of it all. 
Thank you, Lord, for solutions. Number nine, others. Thank you, Lord, you're going to help me to share with others. And number ten, heaven. When I finish this little pilgrimage, I'm thankful for heaven. So now you've got ten words down in the column. They're these. Lily, lily white life. Life, forgiveness. Four, acceptance. Five is power. Six is guidance. Seven is finances. Eight is solutions. Nine is others. And ten is heavens. Now I said to this young woman, I said, now you've got these down in a column. Now you're going to put each of these words into a sentence that conforms to the Bible formula of joy and strength. It's Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. It says this, The joy of the Lord is your strength. So you'll, you'll do a sentence like this with the first word. Thank you, that's joy. Thank you, Lord, that's the joy of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me a lily-white covering for my past life. And when you do it, I told her, Without your realizing it, a chemical change begins to take place in your body, actually. Because we, we read in Psalm 22, verse 3, that God actually saturates the praising person with his presence. And 1 John 5, 10 to 12 says, He that has the Son has life. So actually a chemical change takes place every time we say of one of these words, like Lily, Thank you, Lord, for a lily-white page to cover my past life. Number two, Thank you, Lord, for new life. Number three, thank you, Lord, for forgiveness as I move along through this life and I stumble, for instant forgiveness. Number four, thank you, Lord, for acceptance, though I blunder. It does not destroy my communion with you. You and I are still one. If I blunder, if I misstep, it does not change my acceptance. Thank you, Lord, for acceptance. Power. Thank you, Lord, you offered me power. Number, and the next is guidance. Thank you, Lord, for guidance. Next, thank you, Lord, for financial help. The next, thank you, Lord, for solutions to every problem. Thank you, Lord, for helping me to help others. Thank you, Lord, for giving me heaven at the end of the race. Now, you see, first she made a little column of words. Then she put it into a sentence. Thank you, Lord, for this. 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 Then I said, you'll write it. So those of you, you who are sitting at the table can write a sentence. And the sentence will be the same as what you said audibly. Thank you, Lord, for a white page to cover my past. Thank you, Lord, for white... They're writing. Thank you, Lord, for a white page to cover my past. See, we're writing it. The next is, thank you, Lord, for a new life. You write it. The next is, thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. You write it. So you go on down through the list, writing it. Now, I said to the lady, now the next step is just a wee bit more complicated, but not very much. You'll now make a thank you sandwich. And you ought to have seen her smile. She smiled an, smiled an incredulous smile. <laughs> a thank you sandwich? <laughs> yes, I said, uh, you know what a sandwich is? Most sandwiches, are some exceptions. Most sandwiches consist of two slices of bread and filling between them. So the thank you sandwich will consist of two thank yous and something between them, like this. Thank you, Lord, for a lily white page. Thank you, Lord, for a lily white page. But between those two sentences, you'll say something, it'll go like this.
thank you, Lord, for a lily white page. Then comes the filling. My, I'm so glad that I don't have to live over guilt and my vices anymore. I don't have to look at my horrid past. Then comes the next slice. Yes, thank you, Lord, for a white page. Then I said, now you'll do the same. You'll have a thank you sandwich for a new life. It'll go like this. Thank you, Lord, for a new life. Then before you say that again, you'll say, thank you, Lord, that I don't have to live the old life anymore. Yes, thank you, Lord, for the new life. Then you come to forgiveness. Oh, thank you, Lord, for forgiving all of my past. Then comes the filling. Thank you, Lord, that I just do not have to go into guilt. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness, you see. The two thank yous are the same. The filling goes into the opposite, you see. Thank you, Lord, for acceptance. That's one slice. The other slice is thank you, Lord, for acceptance. Between them is the opposite. I'm glad that as I travel along, I don't have to worry about whether you've accepted me or not. Yes, thank you, Lord, for acceptance, you see. Then we come to power. Thank you, Lord, you've promised me power in my life. Now, before you say it again, you say, Lord, I thank you that I don't have to go into orbit around my weakness, all the while talking about how weak I am. Yes, thank you, Lord, I can talk about your power. That, that is a thank you, Sandra. Doesn't it do something to you? It does to me. A chemical change keeps taking place in the anatomy, if you please, every time we do this. You know, the doctor talked first in this session about the anatomy of stress. We're now talking about the anatomy of joy, <laughs> the anatomy of praise, the anatomy of thanksgiving, you see, how it changes the whole life. Now, we got this far with this lady. She was writing, 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 just like you're writing. And you know, friends, I want to testify that when we got to that point where we went down through that spiritual sandwich, that lady, she said, this is a new life. This is tremendous. She was actually, her, her whole countenance changed. Oh, this is for me. I said, this is for you. She said, I said to her, of all the people we've ever presented this to, I think you're the very best student I've ever seen. You know, that lady came in distraught. Her face was downcast. She was utterly confused. We had prayer together. That lady walked out in a triumph that I can't describe. Now, the next day, she's to make a column of ten more words and go through the same process as we've covered. The third day, ten more words. At the end of ten days, she's to have a hundred words. But now let me say this, friends. As you're sitting here tonight, the words I gave her were far more superficial than the ones I've shared with you. For instance, she might say, thank you, Lord, for the air. Now, that, that isn't too superficial. But at least it isn't saying, thank you, Lord, for salvation. You notice the ten words we're giving have to do with the whole life of the spiritual life and the life that is to come. For this reason, you may wish, instead of making a new set the second day and another set the third day and another set the fourth day, you may choose to use these same words for several days because don't we, <clears throat> as human beings, need to know that we do not have to carry guilt with us, you see? 
So you see how important it can be to carry this specific list with us day after day, even five days if necessary. And after, until we come to a place where we can actually, we can say thank you for forgiveness until we believe it, and then say it till we feel it. You see, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to say it until we believe it. And we can say it till we believe it. Did you know that even Hitler, that monster of cruelty, said, he said, if you tell a lie enough times, you yourself will finally believe it? If that's true in the area of, of the negative, how much truer it is in the area of the positive? Lord, because we're telling the truth. Lord, you have given me a lily white page. Thank you, you see. So don't hesitate to use this again and again, day after day, until we believe it, and then until we feel it. But three days later, that lady was in a meeting that I was holding. Not ten days later, it's a ten-day program. And then to be carried on uh, as we find we need it. Three days later, that lady stood up in a meeting. I'd opened it to people who wanted to, to express their thanks to the Lord, see, for what he'd done for them. She stood up in meeting near the rear of the, of the sanctuary, and her face was glowing. It was beaming. She said, Pastor Kuhn gave me a new way of life three days ago. She said, I have no fears anymore, no worries anymore. Her worries had evaporated through this thankfulness of this beautiful, beautiful Christian religion. Now let me tell you another experience that happened at the same place. A few days before we came to that place, and it happened in California, a lady called me on the telephone. <laughs> I don't believe I can exactly describe <clears throat> how she talked, but it went something like this. Hello, Pastor Good. Yes. Is this Pastor Good? Yes, yes. Pastor Good, is this you? Yes. Pastor Coon, am I talking to you? Yes. She said, I'm having a lot of trouble in my home. Can I come up and see you about 50 miles? I said, look, our schedule calls us to be at, at your church Friday of this week. We'll, we'll see you Friday. I can't wait. My home is breaking up. I'm living in a hell. <clears throat> Can I see you right now? I said, no, not right now. I have a heavy schedule. I'll be down there just in a few days. Can you hold everything? I can't hold anything. I've got to see you. I said, okay. I said, you may come up. She came up. She unloaded her fears. That woman was so confused. I said, look. She, and you know who it was that was, she was telling me that was wrong? My husband. You know, it's amazing how many bad husbands get married. You know. My husband, she said, he's a terrible man. It's agony to live with him. <clears throat> Nothing that I can do will straighten him out. And I thought to myself, I wish he'd stop trying to, <laughs> you know. And I wasn't jesting. I said, well, look now. I'll come two days early. I'll take two days of my vacation time between series. I'll come Wednesday night. Will you bring him over at 6 o'clock Wednesday night? I'm coming there specifically to help you. Yes, I'll come. If I can get him to come, he's a monster. I said, all right, do your best. Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, she and her monster came in. And I, 
and I gave him some counsel. I gave him some good counsel. And I said, come back now in about, uh, come back tomorrow, and I'll give you some more help. They came back tomorrow. She said, it hasn't done me a bit of good. It hasn't changed my husband at all. So I gave them some more counsel. <laughs> come back tomorrow. They came back tomorrow. And I said, things are better, aren't they? She said, no. He's the same old monster. He's always been. He's terrible. You don't know. And then I said, wait a minute. I should have given her the 10-point program. So I said, look, I've got it now. I have a remedy. I have a therapy, and it will work. And I shared with her what I've just shared with you that I shared with the other lady. And it was in the same city, by the way. <laughs> and you know, they wrote, they, 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 they wrote the things down. They went home. And the next day, I received a telephone call. Pastor Good. Yes. Are you there? Yes, I, I hoped I was all there. <laughs> After all that happened, you know. She said, I want to ask you a question. Yes. She said, are you telling me that the marriage is all my fault? Oh, no. I said, I'm not. But I said, if you want a happy marriage, practice this 10-point program, 826 texts of Scripture. Tell us to do it. But Pastor Goon. Yes. Are you telling me that the marriage is my fault? No, I'm not. But you can have a happy life if you'll do this no matter what kind of a husband you have. Really? You think so? Yes, you can. Pastor Coon. Yes. Are you telling me that the marriage is all my fault? No, I'm not. But I'm saying you can have a happy marriage no matter who the man is, no matter how unworthy he is. Will you do it? Will you practice it? Yes. Three days later, that lady was in church. At the close of my sermon, I stepped out to shake hands with the people. Uh, every time they came, they came for a 100-mile round trip. As I stepped out in the entrance, I saw her husband. And you know how her husband looked. Let me show you how her husband looked. And I knew something had happened. I knew it had happened. I said to him, where's your wife? He said, she's in the sanctuary, near the back of the sanctuary. I said, let's go in and see her. I just knew something happened. What a changed man he was. As I walked in there, she was sitting. And when I drew near, that lady's face was beaming. And I said, lady, you must have practiced the 10-point program, haven't you? Now, I can't describe, friends, how she looked and how she responded. The only thing I can do is to mimic. When I said, you've been practicing the 10-point program, haven't you? And this is what she did. I said, you and your husband are sweethearts again, aren't you? I said, really, you're happy, aren't you? This is what the Lord can do. The Christian religion is the most beautiful thing on our planet, friends. Can you say amen? The most beautiful thing in this world. He offers us a new page for the old life, the old habits, the old vices. He offers us a new life. Let's thank him for the new page. Let's thank him for the new life. Let's thank him for acceptance. Let's thank him for forgiveness. Day by day, all through the day. And now a caution. <clears throat> now I realize that not all of us can be thanking the Lord all day long audibly. You know, you have, a, you have a secretary in a business office. She can't be writing 
a business letter and be saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. You can't do that. But every chance we get, we'll do it. Will you do it? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.